And welcome to the Crawling Around My Brain podcast. I'm your host, Graham Brown. Great to have you all back with me this week. I have an awesome conversation teed up for you with film journalist and movie critic James Mottram. We have a chance to talk about a movie called The Creator, which I recently saw in the movie theater, and I cannot recommend enough. You should go to the movie theater and see this movie. It's visually stunning. The audio is incredible. There's action. There's morality. There's humanity versus AI. And there's John David Washington, Denzel's son, for those of you that don't know. So there's a lot to like for the whole family. Do not wait for it to come out on streaming. Go to the movie theater and see this movie. Okay, so we have a chance to talk to James about that movie. He has a book that's coming out about the creator on November 14th. And we also get the chance to pick his brain about his origin story, getting involved in film journalism. Uh, And he also gives us some tips for a few other movies that we should see as well. So great conversation. And I also want to thank everyone for their support for last week's episode, our interview with Mike Lemieux from Houses with History. That show has done very well. And I'd be remiss if I did not thank my Australian fans for keeping this podcast so popular down under. Okay. And with that, without further ado, let's dive right into my conversation with film journalist James Mottram. Welcome to the podcast, James Mottram. Thanks for coming on. Thanks very much for having me, Graham. Absolutely. Well, I I really appreciate you coming on this week. I teed it up in my intro, but just to give a quick bio about yourself. You are an author and a film journalist. You've written several books about film. Uh, You also uh, will do film critique and often interview-based journalism around film. Is that is that correct so far? That is that is spot on. Yeah, that is exactly how I would describe myself. Okay, incredible. That's great. We're off to a great start. I would say reading through some of the books that you've written, a few caught my attention for sure. The first one was The Making of Memento, which is a classic movie. I'll be honest, I haven't seen it in a while, but it was kind of very influential and and certainly memorable. So I saw that you wrote a book about that. Another one that caught my attention was Die Hard, The Ultimate Visual History, because again, growing up, the Die Hard movies were kind of uh, core cinema for me. So that was very interesting. And then also you've written uh, some other books, but one other notable one was Jurassic Park, The Ultimate Visual History again. And I saw an interview that you did talking about that, but Jurassic Park, just the um, some of the cinematic elements, in addition to the, the way they took a book and put it into the into film were, were really uh, groundbreaking, I think, at the time. So that was very cool. And the way that I found you is that I recently saw this movie, The Creator, in the movie theater, which we're going to dive into in a little bit. But I was just blown away by that movie. And I noticed that you have a book that is coming out on November 14th. That's called The Creator, The Designs of Futures Past. So just thrilled to talk to you about that. But I know I didn't list all of your works, but do any of them stand out to you? I know that might be like choosing from children, but you know, <laughs> are, are any of them, do any of them stand out to you or any that I may have missed that you would also recommend? We well, let, let's talk about the ones you mentioned, because you definitely hit on some key ones there over time. Uh, I mean, the Memento one was, I think, the third book. I did, and that you know, it came out around two thousand and one, I think. Um, and 
yeah, I, I'd sort of, I, I suppose I owe a great deal to, to Jeremy Theobald, who's an actor and producer that worked with, he was at college with Christopher Nolan, who obviously now is this enormous Hollywood director. And they made following um, their their first, well, Chris, Chris Nolan's first film. And from that, um, Faber and Faber, this publishers in the UK, they wanted to publish the screenplay of Memento and following. So so we did, we did that, or they did that, and I sort of contributed by doing an interview with Chris and, and Jeremy, which kind of went in, in that uh, alongside the, the printed screenplays. And from that, I then was lucky enough to be able to get to do the Memento book, which was, you know, the film was gathering kind of uh, attention and heat at the time. And it, it, it strangely, I've just reread that. I don't reread my own, own books. That sounds weird. But, <laughs> but I mean, that is very narcissistic. I don't do that. But uh, 101 Films, which is a, a, a company based in the UK, they've just sort of released Memento, a, a brand new Blu-ray package version of Memento with uh, an essay that I wrote and a commentary I did with a, a sort of fellow filmmaker critic called Sean Hogan. And, and it, they've done a fantastic job, I have to say. It looks brilliant. Um, and so hence the reason I went back and looked at that book because I kind of needed to... You, a bit like you, you haven't seen it for a while. I hadn't seen it for a while. And right. to go back into that film again, I'm always amazed how sort of deep it is and how much there is to to to, to get into, how much there is to play with. Uh, and I really enjoyed going back again, actually, uh, into that. So, yeah, that that is a favourite of mine, that book, because... Um, it, it was it was such it was the launch pad really for for Chris's career. Right. Um, I've done a couple of other books based on his uh, movies since. I did one on Dunkirk and one on Tenet, both mm-hmm. published by In- Insight, who are the publishers of, of the Creator book that you mentioned, okay. and and the Jurassic Park books, uh, and and the Die Hard book as well. Uh, I mean, the Die Hard one was a strange project because I took over from another writer who'd already started it and done a lot of work, but then had to sort of depart the project just due to his kind of work commitments that he had. So I kind of picked it up and ran with it. And that was it's great a very strange experience, sort of, first of all, getting yourself up to speed on all this incredible research this, this other writer uh, had done and then kind of having to shape it yourself uh, and right. you know, improve the bits that were, were weren't working, and and don't touch the bits that were brilliant. And there were lots of those, so it was that was an interesting, quite stressful project. And then the, the Jurassic one. Uh, well, it, you, you mentioned Jurassic Park, so that covered the first three movies, the Jurassic Park movies. Simultaneously, I wrote a, a one covering the Jurassic World movies. So effectively, I was writing two of those ultimate visual history books at the same time. And that was my lockdown pandemic project where, you know, all the cinemas were shut in the UK because of, of COVID and there wasn't a great deal to do. So I, I said to my editor, well, if you've got any ideas, now's the time. And he suggested <laughs> Jurassic. And um, yeah, so, I mean, that was that was also quite stressful. But, um, but you know, really a lot of fun to do. And I've really discovered... I'd say, well, maybe alongside Star Wars, the community, the Jurassic community, are they're just so devoted to those films, and and the the wider uh, paraphernalia, I suppose, is not really the right word, but the kind of wider, uh, you know, you you have the comics and the toys and 
and you've got fan groups devoted to all of that stuff as well. And uh, I didn't really know that before I started. I wasn't as, as aware of it as I am now. And uh, yeah, you, you yeah. know, it's it's even though there's, you know, well, who knows if they'll make another Jurassic film. You know, the last one made a billion dollars, which, uh, <laughs> you know, is not, not small change. Right. Uh, but who knows what they'll do. You know, they had the animated show on Netflix that not that long ago. So it'd be interesting to see what direction they take. But that community is very much alive and supporting anything new Jurassic related. So you just touched on a lot of stuff that I want to get into. And like I said, I know we're going to get into the creator in a little bit, but I asked you ahead of time if it'd be okay if we dove in, into a little bit of your background. But what you talked about, I mean, you know, film fans are extremely passionate. Right. And so when you're dealing with, uh, you know, there's a sense of ownership in some sense, especially to people, some of these, the iconic titles that you're talking about that you've written books around. So, um, and I know in addition to the authoring, you've done some, like I mentioned, some film critique as well. And so I was laughing because last night I was watching the Sunday night football game uh, in the United States and there was an advertisement that came on for the new The Killer movie with Michael Fassbender. And it, you know, it goes through the whole, you know, uh, preview. And then at the end, it's showing all the reviews and yours was the last one that they go to before it cuts to where it's playing in theaters. And I think it might be on Netflix ultimately. That's, uh, that's actually nice to hear because it's, it's quite strange. You, when, when you write a review, cause I saw that film in Venice at the Venice film festival okay. and you, you had to review it immediately. And I wrote the review and then you get publicists will, uh, you know, they have to sort of ask your permission if they can use an extract. And, uh, you know, obviously I, I said yes to whatever they, you know, all the, the, the bits of the review they were suggesting. I was fine with that. But then you never normally see that stuff again. It's oh, like, that's funny. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm not saying they don't get, sometimes they don't get used because I guess they get lots of reviews they can pick from. But, um, and often in the UK, I never see these things. And then you think, well, why have I just bothered? you know, giving my permission that it's not been used. So it's, yeah. it's quite gratifying to know it has been used somewhere. I was, I was laughing. I was literally laying, it was a late game here. It was near the end of the game. I was, I was laying in bed and I showed my wife and I screen capped it. I rewound it. I should have taken a shot of it. If I see it again, I will do that and I'll send it your way. Please do. But you know, I was, I was wondering, so, you know, you've obviously how long have you been doing this that's the first question how long what got you into it like were you just a super passionate fan of film or were you you know more of a journalist and then you just kind of start notice that you were tending towards film or did you send out like when you were young younger and just said all right i'm gonna do this this is what i'm gonna make my career out of you know i love this that's a good did, question uh, i mean i was definitely a movie fan in my teenage years um i lived in uh, the sort of in East Sussex, which is kind of, you'll have heard of the Battle of Hastings, right? It's a famous battle in, uh, it's a, one of the most famous battles of all time. Hastings is about, uh, in terms of in, in, in Britain anyway, uh, Hastings is about 10 miles from where I grew up in my teenage years in a kind of remote village where not much happened and the best, you know, this is obviously way, way before streaming and all this sort of stuff. So you had a couple, well, maybe one cinema in Hastings and then a little van that would drive around with VHS, you know, rentals, and it would stop outside your house, and you could go and, you know, uh, oh, you could go awesome. and choose one, and you'd have it for a week. That's how I saw Aliens, for example, the James Great. Cameron movie. Great movie. Um, yeah, fantastic movie. So, you know, I, 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 and then I remember when I bought a car, I could finally drive to the video rental store and start like, this is, there was nothing else to do in the right. countryside, right? So, right? so I was a movie fan as a, as a teenager, and then... 
I did a, an English degree and then a journalism kind of course. And during that course, and this is, I'd say, really good advice for anyone who wants to be a journalist of whatever, you know, whatever, uh, whatever your interest is. The, the kind of course tutor was like, well, you really should choose a specialism, especially if you're going to be um, a, uh, a freelancer. So I chose film. I was always interested in film. And one of the college uh, exercises was to write uh, a piece on something that could be printed there and then, which is quite difficult because you don't really have any contacts. You know, you're aware of what's in the newspapers, but that's already been and gone, effectively. You need mm -hmm. to, to get ahead of the game and print something that could run there and then. So that was quite a tricky idea. But yeah, at the time, this is going to show you how old I am now. Uh, at the time, Natural Born Killers, the Oliver Stone movie, was around... Uh, but it wasn't being released in the UK. They were sort of sort of suspended due to censorship problems. I recall so, this. Yeah. I recall this whole deal about the NC seventeen rating, and I remember that was a huge deal because of the, some of the themes of that movie. Yeah, very much, yeah. and it was a huge deal in the UK. Well, we had a lot of problems around that time with censorship. I mean, films like Reservoir Dogs that was a little bit earlier, but mm. another another Tarantino film, yep. of course, but or, or the Tarantino scripted. Uh, natural born killers anyway I, I i ended up writing a piece about um you know the, the sort of furore around the fact that it wasn't out yet and there was all this sort of censorship stuff so i wrote that and that was my you know that was you know i used that for my college course but then i managed to sell that piece to a a kind of freebie magazine that we used to have in the uk called tnt which was a kind of magazine dedicated to the aussie expats the australians that lived in london and there were lots of those still are and so they, they took that piece, which was a great delight, great surprise. And then about, I don't know, two, three months later, I, I did some work experience at Screen International, which is one of the big trade uh, publications on film in the UK. It's like Variety and Hollywood Reporter. And I you know, had a nice, nice week there. And at the end, they gave me an invite to a screening on like a letter because that's you used to get these letters through the post way before email mm -hmm. and they were like oh you know if you want to go go along so i went to the screening and it was uh it was mike newell's first film since four weddings and a funeral it was called an awfully big adventure it's another movie with hugh grant so i saw that and i it kind of like dawned on me oh my god this is how journalists see movies in advance i mean right. i would never really thought about it before Right. So I got back in touch with um, that magazine, TNT, that took my other piece. And um, I said, do you need a review? I've just seen this film. And uh, remarkably, they did. They didn't have a reviewer and that, or a regular reviewer. And that is kind of very unheard of. So I kind of stepped in the breach, obviously reviewed that for them. And then started. I, was the, I then became their reviewer. And that was my start. But it took a long time before I then branched out beyond just right i mean that, that was pocket money basically it was just mm -hmm. you know i was sort of doing another job at the time but it was fun i was getting into movies seeing some great stuff um i can remember i, I worked in a department store and i can remember skiving off at um at lunchtime to go and see terry gilliam's 12 monkeys basically i took okay. a two hour two hour lunch break <laughs> instead of a one hour lunch break That's um funny. but then there was you a certain point, yeah but then there was yeah. a certain point you were like well you've got to try and make this work so right. you, you try and you know turn it into your career and i started going to film festivals um i went to the london film festival first in I think it was 97 98 that sort of time you know and then you start doing a few interviews and and you know you build it up from there really and it's 
it's kind of been that way ever since. It's amazing. I have to imagine there's people listening to this who that seems like a dream to them, right? Like that they're 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 either watching movies and providing commentary or they're interviewing directors. I mean, you've had you've had some amazing interviews. Um, you already talked about Christopher Nolan, and I know you have many others that you could talk to speak to as well. I guess what's interesting though is when I started looking up some of the stuff you've done, you have to see a ton of movies. Like you're you're going to all the. It's not like you get to say, "Oh, I, the creator looks interesting. I'm going to go hit that one." You're seeing basically everything, right? So, do you have any idea off the top of your head how many reviews you've done of movies? <laughs> wow, that's a good ballpark. question. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. Say, and also, I, I'd, I'd sort of caveat that I, I haven't seen. Ev- I don't see everything. I, I don't know how much okay. gets released in America on a weekly basis, but in the UK, you could easily have ten movies come out. Especially now, there's the whole digital. Oh, right. sort of downloads thing right and you can't keep up with that many and you don't need to really i, I mean right. obviously if someone asks me to review something and they're going to pay then i'll obviously go and see it there'll be things i want to see just out of my interest which right. maybe i don't end up not getting to write about uh and then there'll be a bunch of stuff that i just passes me by because you just haven't got the time or you can't make the screenings or whatever it is so but yeah i I can i can't really tell you how many reviews i've written that's impossible but i do know for the last few years i've kept a count of how many films i see a year now that might be new films or or old or old movies that i've rewatched for some reason um and i mean i'm talking again roughly speaking you're looking at about 350 360 a year so that's basically one a day and that's not that bad i know people naming no names I know people that do 800 a year, and I'm not joking. <laughs> and they'll see two or three things a day, you know, right. every day. And, and I, I don't know how they do it. I'm not entirely sure why they do it, but right. but they do. Um, well, but I can't, I can't. I need to do other things. I need to watch. You're watching. Uh, well, sorry, I call it American football, but you're watching yeah. football. I, I'm watching soccer. So, uh, you know, right. our, our football. So I need to do a few other things apart from uh, apart from watching movies. Well, you have to stay well-rounded, right? Because you bring all that into your into your commentary, I imagine, into your writing. That's got to be, if you just were in the movie theater all the time, that would probably be tough to do. I, I was going to ask you, you know, in a way, you're watching this movie, and then do you have, like, is this an immediate reaction if you're doing a review, for instance? It's not, a, not an interview book format, but if you're watching a movie and you provide a review, are you watching the movie, and then you're sitting down, and you don't want any influence beyond that, and you just want to write it right away? Or do you kind of let it sink in, maybe read a few other things about the film and then dive into your review? How do you like your process? You don't have to go too deep, but I was just yeah. curious. Like, no, no, how no, much, that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Well, it, it will it will vary, like I mentioned earlier, with The Killer. So I think I saw that. I was doing an interview with Fincher's cinematographer for that film. So I saw it a couple of days before the press screening in Venice. But so I had a couple of days to ruminate on it because the idea would be to get that review out before the embargo lifts or or, or rather as the embargo lifts. Uh, so when in the case of Venice, I think they allow you. I'm trying to remember now because every, every festival is different, but I think it's 30 minutes into the official screening that's when you can run your review. So the press screening would have been maybe the day before. Or, or that morning or something like that. But I've just because by chance I'd seen it a couple of days earlier, I had a little more time to, to sit on it and think about it. 
But I didn't really talk to, there weren't that many people that would have seen it at that point, a handful that were doing interviews. But I didn't really have a chance to talk to people. And in a way, you don't want to do that because then you're going to start to get influenced by people. And of course, you couldn't read anything else because there was nothing else out there on it. So you just have to put your own stamp on it. And that's what you should be doing anyway. Um, But yeah, sometimes... You may not review it for a few weeks, and by then you may have read something by accident, or or you may be interested to read what other people have put. But again, you can't deny if you do that, that is going to be slightly influencing you, even subconsciously. And you try, you need to resist that because you need to put your own voice on it. I mean, sometimes you see a film and you know instantly whether you love it or you hate it. Um, trying to think okay, does it ever so happen this... where you rec- where you review something this is this is kind of my follow-up to this was where you're like oh my god that was incredible slam dunk and then you and then you publish it and then you find wow i'm actually totally in the minority on this one like people or or vice versa where you're like man this is you know not not great and everyone raves about it i'm yeah, sure that happens sure. but yeah. i remember i'm trying to remember it was the, i think it was the second fantastic beasts movie you know from the the spin-off of the harry potter films which i saw to review for a magazine i saw it before you know they have what they call multimedia press screenings which is where you'd get people from written press and online and radio and tv so like a whole they rent out a whole big cinema and you know uh but i saw that before that multimedia screening so again with only a handful of people in the room didn't Mm -hmm. talk to anyone else and I'm, you know, I'm not the world's biggest Harry Potter fan or anything like that, but I did quite enjoy that. Well, very much enjoy that film. Gave it five stars, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Like that's the top mark. Don't right. normally give out five stars very often. And then noticed that everyone was ripping into it, and I was like, <laughs> "Have I seen the same film as everyone else?" And right. I do remember my editor. This is a long time after the review. They you know they they obviously ran the review as is. They took me took took me yeah. on my word, sort of thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, uh, like maybe you're having a great day. Maybe it yeah, just spoke, it spoke I, you to know, you for some reason. I enjoyed yeah. it. Like, I, yeah. I'd be interested, but it's funny if you go back and watch. Uh, so I was talking to about this to someone the other day. We were talking about the films of Paul Thomas Anderson, mm. and so there will be blood, which is yes. uh, this person's. Um, you know, thought that was his greatest film. Now I've got n- nothing against that. I think it's a, yeah. a wonderful film, but I've only ever watched it once and i it was so sort of perfect for me at the time and i saw it in the cinema as you should but i'm kind of like i don't want to go back and watch it again what if it spoils that memory of of what it was like and again if sometimes if you watch a film for a second time you're you've reflected on it differently you're older of course and maybe your experiences are different and yeah, yeah you can definitely reverse you know i i don't think there's any problem in in retracting a review or your thoughts about a review down the line. Obviously, the review is run, and that's it. But you have yeah. to go on your first reaction. But yeah, um, you know, this this is a terrible connection to that because what you're talking about is much more um, has much more of a of an education to it. But I will say, like Yelp reviews, if I go to a great restaurant, some people you'll see will go back and do another review. It's like, no, you went the one time, give it the review, you had a great meal, let's move on. I think there will be blood, great movie don't know that I'd want to see it again. I mean, it's a pretty intense movie, right, too. So you really have to be in the right mindset, I would think, to see that a second time uh, and maybe draw on new, new feelings for it. Yeah, but, uh, I feel like the, the older I get, the 
the less time I have to rewatch films I've already seen, right. I would unless it's like a comfort movie that you watch, you know, you've watched since you're a teenager and and you just love watching it. But like for example, Goodfellas, which is kind of yep. one of my all-time favorite movies, Classic. that was on the other day. And obviously Scorsese's very much in the in the ether at the moment because of Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. And I, I was kind of waiting for my friend to to uh, you know, he was he was staying with me for the night. So I, it was just on in the background. And it's like I can watch that film from any moment. You know what I mean? And it was it's just like highly rewatchable. Yeah, that's yeah. comfort comfort viewing. But sort yeah. of a lot of films let's talk if we're sticking on the Scorsese vibe the Irishman sure. which I've only watched once yeah. now I, I kind of enjoyed the film when I saw it and I feel like I should revisit it but it's a long long movie it's three and a half hours right I could watch two other new movies in that time or right. you know I just it's time isn't it in the end there's, yeah there's only so much time to, to watch everything that one, I'll be honest, I started it and didn't make it through. I love the rest of his movies. I'm not, I'm not like a cinephile or anything either, but I mean, obviously he's great and I, and I would watch most things that came out, but for some reason I've got two little kids. There's a lot going on. So for me to sit down for three and it takes a Well, I'm real guessing big... you watched it on Netflix, right? So I which did. obviously is the, is the, is how, you know, they're the ones that bankrolled that film. Yeah. And really a film like that, same with Killers of the Flower Moon, which is obviously will, will be on the Apple platform. Uh, I couldn't watch those kind of movies movies at home. I mean, I could, but right. I would much rather, if you're going to devote to it, go to the cinema. This is my message for the day, basically. Okay, we're going to hit Difficult, on that. I know, when you've got two small kids, obviously. I, I, I grant you that. Yes, no, but it, hap it, it, it happened to be, and that's and one of the reasons why I think, here's my pivot to the creator, why I thought that I just wanted to talk to someone about this movie is because I have an older daughter as well who's 10, and we were looking for a movie to go to, and it was like Saw X, which I was like, we're not going to do that. And then it was like the Paw Patrol movie, and I'm like, we're not going to do that. And I saw this movie title pop up, The Crater. I'll be honest, hadn't heard anything about it. I just saw that it was PG-13, so kind of in the right wheelhouse, right? I was like, might be interesting. And it didn't say that it was like, had anything terrible. So I was like, I feel safe bringing my daughter to this. And I looked at a really brief write-up about, you know, just what the plot was, Right, which is in effect that um, there's a battle going on between humanity and AI in the future. And I was like, let's go. And I went and I was just so blown away by the movie. I couldn't believe one that so if I was if I was giving my James Mottram review, I don't know if I would be at five stars, but I left the movie theater and I was like, that's somewhere between four and five stars. We, my daughter and I talked about her for like 30 minutes afterwards. She's usually not that communicative about the things we've done. She was so pumped about it. The visuals were absolutely stunning. John, I think it's John David Washington, right? Uh, Denzel's son, who's the star. I'm a big fan of his. I couldn't really believe that I hadn't heard anything about it. And so I'm like really rooting it on as a film. I want people to go see it. And so I, that's the reason I reached out. I was like, I have to talk to someone about this movie because I thought it was great. And I've read your reviews on it, but I guess, how did you get involved with the creator? Was that just a movie that you went and saw or were you already asked to do this book? And then that's how you got involved in the movie. Yeah. Uh, well, as mentioned already, uh, Insight, who are an American based company, they've, I've worked with them on a few titles now and, um, uh, they, they have done a lot of stuff recently with new Regency, who are the production company behind the creator 
So they did, um, I'm trying to think what else they've done. Um, the, the Northman, I think they did a book on the Northman, which was the Viking saga yep. with Alexander Skarsgård. I wasn't involved in that, but, uh, you know, so they've been, uh, I think they've got one coming up on the bike riders. This is a book on the bike riders, which is uh, the Tom Hardy, uh, Jodie Comer film, um, uh, Austin Butler as well, the guy who played Elvis. So, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of stuff, a lot of work with, well, they do a lot of work with all the studios and, um, so they had, uh, you know, the, the, my editor who I'd worked with on a, on a number of different books, he came to me and said, would you be interested in doing, well, it was called True Love uh, uh, initially, the film. For a long time, it was called True Love. And oh, uh, so, would, would, you know, would you be interested in doing a book on that? Um, it, it's written and directed, True, well, the creator, what was True Love, written and directed by Gareth Edwards, who's British. He did a very low budget film called Monsters uh, back in around 2010 where it was a, like literally five or six people on the crew. Uh, he, he, he comes from a visual effects background, so he's very, very adept at, at working with visual effects, which we can come on to in a minute. Mm. Anyway, he went from Monsters, which was, you know, a kind of little cult indie kind of hit. Very, people were very impressed by the, the visual effects, which he effectively did himself. Um, the, he went from that, he leapt up to Godzilla, the the movie from, I think it was 2014, Godzilla. Um and which was the beginning of that whole MonsterVerse saga, which is now, mm-hmm. there's been a few of those movies now. And he went from that to Rogue One, which was the Star Wars spinoff, which is the one set around the kind of building of the Death Star. Yeah. Um, and he and that's, until the creator, that was the last film he made, Rogue One. So, of course, I was fascinated to see what he's up to this time around. But obviously, Godzilla and Rogue One are pre-existing pre-existing ip basically right. that you know that's star wars that's the godzilla franchise this the the creator is completely original it's from his from his mind um i mean if we if we wind the clock back 20 years when he was a sort of visual effects artist sort of working for the bbc i think this is how the book starts actually but he told me this story about one night you know working in his little bed sit in north london uh, and he, the TV was on in the background, and he saw this image of uh, like a Japanese samurai and a small child. Uh, he didn't know what it was. Uh, it came on TV again a few weeks later, and he then started to sort of investigate. And it was from Lone Wolf and Cub, which is this sort of series of films. I think they're based on a kind of uh, manga sort of comic series as well. Mm. Um and, you know, it's about a samurai and a child and their sort of journey uh, through this sort of landscape. And that sort of implanted this seed in his mind uh, about I'd love to do something of a kind of, uh, you know, a, a sort of man and a child sort of story. And mm-hmm. as you've obviously seen the film, you can see yeah. where that fits in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I started the, the book back in, I think it was January 2023. Um, I got to read the script and, and obviously just started speaking to Gareth and as many other people as I could really about how they put this incredible film together. And, and you know, they, they, they battled all the way through COVID to do it. It got delayed multiple times because of COVID. I mean, as many other things did, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, it, it, you obviously got to see the end product, which right. I'm super delighted to hear you enjoyed it. But the kind of making of the film is is as fascinating uh, in a way. You know, there's been a lot in the press recently about this, which is good that that's come out because, you know, he's made this incredible looking blockbuster for, I don't know, 
a third of the price, let's say. Right. Supposed supposed to be around eighty million dollars. Right. Uh still a lot of money, but not not for the kind of what you see on screen. Yeah, not two hundred and eighty. No, you'll see. quite. Right. Which is what you would normally, you know. And he he's he's incredibly humble and modest, Gareth, and it, it almost fits his personality not to want to waste hundreds of millions of dollars making right. a movie when he knows how to do it. You know, or at least he, this was his whole mandate. Let's try and do it cheaper, not not to to skimp on quality, but. You know, he wanted to do a sort of, uh, I suppose you'd call it a guerrilla movie, you right. know, uh, in the way that his first film was done with just a handful of people. He wanted to go, well, initially he wanted to go into Southeast Asia and shoot all over there. In the end, mainly due to COVID restrictions, they had to sort of primarily limit it to Thailand. But, uh, you know, to try and shoot with a, a, a skeletal crew, as, as much as possible to try and strip back the machinery of a big blockbuster movie and then really shape the the movie. You know, all, all movies are shaped in the edit suite, of course, but this time to shape the, the, the visual world that you've seen on screen, this kind of future set, uh, New Asia, and also you see America as well in the future, to shape this world in, in post-production using the ILM and the many other visual effects companies that they, they they work with, you know, and that that's how they did it. I mean, in, in some ways, all films are sort of done that way. But I think as he pointed out, usually you'd have all these, you know, elaborate designs and things, and then everyone sort of strives to make those designs in the shoot. And then, and then there's compromises and people are unhappy. And this time it's like, right, we've got ideas. We're going to design some images for whether it's the vehicles that you see or the buildings or all of that sci-fi, good sci-fi stuff. But, um, but, but we're not going to, um, we're not going to sort of slavishly adhere to that during the shoot. We're going to, we're going to shoot, you know, our raw footage of the actors mm -hmm. on set with props and whatever. And then we're going to kind of shape everything in the in the post production phase. Hope that's making sense, but it's a long answer. It is. No, no. It's it's. I think you're 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 explaining what you're what we're seeing too. Because a couple of things I love about what you said. One, and I want to talk about the budget in a second because I think it, the, the performance of the film. You know, I because I, I, again, I wanted to do so well that we see more of these. Like I feel like we have stopped seeing this type of movie because the budget seems so restrictive probably for for studios and directors right so like growing up we were talking about like aliens and predator and some of these other ones that at the time were kind of not as visually stunning as this i don't want to put i mean aliens was pretty impressive but you know that had these these sci-fi elements and these futuristic elements and that were also going to make money ultimately for like for the studios and so there's definitely an audience for it, it reminded me of those types of movies but the 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 visuals of this movie are incredible. So you're describing it. It's like for people who haven't seen the movie, you're looking thinking about Thailand, but then there's like some spaceship elements and you've got these AI forces coming through kind of the fields and you see the grass splitting and stuff. I mean, it's, it is. And then the death star comparison that you're making, there's, there's a kind of a bad ship, if you will, in this, that's absolutely uh, one of the best, the best that I've seen in a movie in a long time. So there's just a lot of elements to it that are really incredible. But I think the reason your book, I'm looking forward to your book so much is that you're not taking out your phone and taking pictures of the screen as it's happening. But there are a lot of things I was like, Oh my God, this is such an awesome 
visual that's happening in front of me. And I think the story is really good too. I know that some of the reviews I said, said there's some things that are derivative and, you know, and, and other elements of sci-fi movies that you may have seen. And sure, that's fine. Not everything maybe is brand new, but the way that it's pulled together is really impressive. And then I do think that the, just the visual imagery is stuff that I haven't seen in a long time in a movie mm. where, where what it's I, like what, believable, but also futuristic at the same time. What I would really like to know is uh, what your daughter thought of uh, Alfie, who is the, AI child that uh, John David Washington character, uh, his character meets, and first of all, that that uh, that, that character is played by this sort of newcomer called Madeline Univoyles, and uh, I've been I've been let's say pre warned by people who'd worked on the film, like for example the editor. I remember telling me, well, when we saw the footage of her, we were all just in tears because she's so good. And I, I kind of, you know, you sort of think, yeah, yeah, let's let's see how good she is. But I, I thought she was so soulful, her performance. And I, I'm just very curious to know what, uh, did you say your daughter was 10 years old? Yes, so, yeah. yeah, what what she thought of, of, of Alfie. Yeah, I mean, so she really, I think she really connected to her in a lot of ways. Um, I think that she the film sets up this discussion about like the future of humanity, right? Like, and what, a what is a person, you know, I think there's like these bigger questions that it's asking, obviously about, about how, uh, artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence and what the future of, of humanity looks like. And could that be some, some blend of artificial intelligence and human and human. And like I said, she spent 30 minutes at the end talking about it. And I think, yeah, to have a young child actor have to encompass, I don't know, like a lot of these questions. And she, and her dialogue, she doesn't have a ton of dialogue in the movie, to be honest. So it's a lot of reaction and a lot it's of all, like... all in the eyes. It's yeah, all in the eyes. Yeah, it's a lot of reaction, a lot of in, a lot of in the eyes, yes, to your point. And just some well-timed uh, delivery of her lines, which obviously some could be edited. But yeah, I think she, I think she does a great job. I was trying to think as you were asking that question of of if there was a child actor in a, in a role like this from something growing up. But um, the only movie I can think of is The Golden Child with Eddie Murphy, and I don't think that is the same type of movie. Well, it's funny you say that, though, because yeah. that film has been referenced in relation to the creator. I haven't seen that movie since it came out in, what it was, yeah, it, 87 it's been a long or time. something. Yeah. So I, I, I was obviously aware of it, but I, I never revisited it. Um, I guess you could say... The kids from ET, um, you know Henry yeah. Thomas, Drew Barrymore, they were pretty good, and yeah, you know, that's a similar sort of relationship. That's with, a great with call. E. Yes, Drew Barrymore's interaction with ET similar, although yeah, I mean this movie, there's this movie is a lot of action too, though. Like there's a lot of kind of violence happening around, um, and and along with this morality and this humanity discussion. So I, did you uh, did you enjoy job. the moment? This is one of these things, of course. When I saw it, sure. finally. I knew what was coming because I'd right. read the script and, and written are about we, it. Are we doing spoilers? We got to tell people though. If we're gonna uh, or no. No spoilers. Hmm. Well, it's <laughs> it's the tank battle halfway through. Oh, okay, that's uh, that's fine. That's okay. Yeah. No, I, all yeah. I was going to say was I knew what was coming, and yeah. you saw that rustling of the trees, oh, and I'm yeah. like, well, I know what's coming over the hill now. And yeah. then you see these enormous tanks, and yes. I'd been again, I'd been pre warned by people. Yet these tanks are huge, and yeah. it was like. Oh my God! Because obviously they they were digitally you know added in sort of thing. Yeah. But see, but that's amazing. You wouldn't even know that. I mean, no. obviously, I'm not saying I'm 
you know, obviously technology has come very far. It's clear, but that that scene is so great, and the trees splitting and everything. And I mean, it's it's really memorable. I think well, it has okay it has about. one of my favorite moments in it. And again, when I read the script, I thought, oh, this this could really work well. Where so there's just to sort of set the scene. And again, I don't think this is going into real spoiler territory, but sure. there's obviously a big river um, with a big bridge over it. And you've got the sort of Americans sort of attacking these uh, insurgent characters mm. and they send uh, a, what, what is called like a bomb droid. I think, yes. I think it's named G13 and G14. And then you have this kind of little robot thing on legs that can sprint down the bridge basically yeah. towards them and obviously explode. And it, it is an AI creature. It has its it is a sentient creature right. and is well aware that its entire life has been built up to this, this moment, moment where it will right. sort of explode and blow people up. And right. I, I just love that as an idea that you had this sort of sentient bomb droid that has been reared to this very moment basically. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, that that's a great scene. That whole interaction and and kind of what transpires right around that is uh, is is tremendous. It's just one of the one of the highlights uh, of many in the movie. And so I was going to ask you. So we talked about it. So I I did see that the film was about eighty million dollars, I think, all in roughly, right? And the last I had checked, it was had it made ninety million worldwide. And again, so fine, it's made some money, and it's going to continue to make more. But what? Why do you think that a movie that uh, two experts like ourselves here, I'll include myself there, uh, think is so good, why hasn't it resonated more? I, I'm uh, kind of surprised. A very good question. Um, I, look, I'll, I'll be, uh, you know, obviously I was pre-aware of the film um, mm -hmm. because obviously of writing the book. So for me, it, it you know, I was... I would hope that I would be aware of it anyway, let's say, because of the, a new Gareth Edwards film. Well, of course you'd be aware of it. Right. A couple of things, though. One, it was under a different title for a long time. That that may have confused people. I don't know that. I've not heard that from anyone, but that could have confused people. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it was also, as I mentioned earlier, it was shot kind of under the radar on some level during COVID times. So, again, maybe there wasn't a great deal of pre-awareness. Um mm -hmm. I don't really know if Disney, who released it, uh, because it wasn't this big pre-existing, you know, IP, this kind of like a Marvel movie or something, you know, that uh, I suppose they go, well, you know, it's not like, you know, they did Indiana Jones this year, you, you know, that didn't do brilliantly. And that right. everyone knows who Indiana Jones is. So right. I, I, I just not sure if they knew how to sell it. I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but uh it, and it's really difficult to launch a, 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 a an original as this is a terrible thing to say that it shouldn't be difficult to launch a great original movie right. but uh maybe people just weren't aware of it enough i mean you, you know you can tell me how many billboards and posters and things there were up in in new york i don't know yeah, i mean I, I didn't see a load in london either so yeah. maybe they just thought let's let's strip back on the on the marketing uh, and you know, it's it, it, it clearly it's already made it, the, its production budget back, right. and as, as you say, it will continue to make money. Uh, I, I you know I keep seeing these articles saying, oh, it's a flop, and it's like, well, not really. It's made its money. Yes, there's still marketing costs to cover, um, and as you pointed out, I think it will continue to make money. I mean, it, it's really difficult. I think it was lucky that June Part Two moved out of November, so that people weren't all 
waiting. You know, if you're going to see one sci-fi movie this year, well, I'll wait to see June part two. And because of the actor strike, they move that to next year. So I'm sort of hoping it still sticks around and it has a clear run because there aren't many other, I think there's the Hunger Games prequel coming up. That'll obviously be big, I guess. But uh, there aren't too many other blockbusters around at the moment. I mean, yeah, I just think it needed a bit more pre-awareness, but perhaps that shows you in this day and age how difficult it is to launch an original movie where, you know, it's not Harry Potter or it's not Marvel or it's not Star Wars or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you bring up some good points. And I think what's interesting to me, the other reason why I was surprised that it that I haven't just heard more about it is because the topic is so you know, prevalent in our society, right? Like what is artificial intelligence's role? How are we going to use this tool? What does the future look like with it? And it's like, this movie is so prescient in a way because it's talking about here's how it worked its way into society. And now we're going to fast forward to when, you know, again, I don't want to give any spoilers, but to when there's been this, this incident that has caused this change between the relations between people and artificial intelligence. And so it seems like such a timely uh topic and it's a take on the on the future that i had not seen before as well so that part's really cool i do agree there's something about the strike between covid and then the strike you know maybe caused a problem where there just wasn't the publicity or they didn't want to publicize it i had read a take on it that maybe because of um you know a lot of the union requests had to do with artificial intelligence writing movies and the stuff that the topic of ai was kind of off limits but i mean I don't know. I don't, that seems like a little bit of a stretch. So. Yeah, I'd, I'd not heard that before. And yeah. uh, I, I think in terms of the cast, I mean, yes, the actors weren't able to do interviews because of, of the strike. But mm-hmm. really, they're not, none of them, uh, you know, they've got a wonderful cast. I mean, you've got Alison Janey in it, Gemma Chan. Um, they're not that kind of Tom Cruise level of actor. Though. Right. So right. in a way, I don't think that necessarily was an issue. The AI thing is interesting. I think the funny thing is, when I read the script and then um, I, um, you know, was starting to work on it, I, uh, you, so, you, you suddenly realised how many other AI things were happening, not only in the headlines, but also uh, new news, you know, sorry, film-wise as well. So there's a film that's right. just that Amazon have got called Faux, uh, which is Paul Mescal and Saoirse Ronan it's quite a sort of low-key three-hander and that's all to do with artificial intelligence as well Mm. and I saw that quite early on in the year quite a way before it came out and then I was thinking oh this this is really you know there's this topic is really in the ether in filmmakers minds as well then there was a movie called Tim T-I-M uh that came out sort of I mean, you had Megan as well, which is that kind of big horror right. hit. Yeah. You know, suddenly it seems, you know, and filmmakers were obviously thinking about this three or four years ago because you can't just you can't just click your fingers and make you know make a movie like like you would write a newspaper article. So it's right. been in the ether for a long time, and it's suddenly all come together. And it's you know, so I don't know if that helped the creator because obviously it came out in September, and you sort of think, well you know maybe if it had come out in i don't know january when this topic was really taking off maybe then well you know were people a bit bored of the ai thing i don't know but right yeah no that's a that's a good call i think you know again you have a different perspective more nuanced but for me it's like it's great when you can go to the cinema or read a book or anything where it's a fictional account of something that's an actual issue and it can just help 
shape your thoughts about what you know what that topic is so this and this movie really did do that to me it really made me think about you know artificial intelligence and humanity and and what that what that future might look at in a different way than i thought about it before i went to the movie so uh i'm doing my job by sharing it uh this interview on my podcast i know you've you have a book coming out on the 14th which is great so that'll help continue the discussion i know my daughter's actively telling her friends at school so i think between the three of us we can get a groundswell uh of support for the that's, movie and, that's and very see. good i'm I'm very impressed yeah. by your daughter telling her friends to go and see it i do <laughs> hope that they they take notice of her and, and do that but yeah, yeah i mean i i hope that it's a film that you know i don't know when when it will hit the streaming platforms but mm-hmm. i hope people will sort of discover it and, and rediscover it and so forth um i think it will have a really good you know reputation i mean you you were talking about what grade you would give it and i was sort of yeah, would give it around the four star mark. Um, yep. You know, I, I I thought the the I mean, as you've touched on them already, but the visual effects were absolutely outstanding. I mean, if that film doesn't win best visual effects at the Academy Awards next year, I right. don't know what. Well, it's it's going to have to be something amazing to beat that film. Right. Uh, the, you know, uh, and the same goes for James Klein, who was the production designer, who's a guy that has worked on Star Wars films and he's incredibly experienced. You know, th- this film's also got a lot of people that were connected to, to the Dune franchise. Uh, okay. Greg Fraser, who was one of the, there's two cinematographers on the film. Greg Fraser shot Dune and will shoot Dune, or is, has shot Dune 2, which is coming out. Uh, the editor as well, Joe Walker, he, he worked on Dune. So, you know, you've got incredibly... Uh, you've got elite level film professionals working on this film. And that's aside from Gareth, who uh, Gareth Edwards, who is just a sort of, you know, he, he I hate to use the word genius because it's massively overused in, in, in film circles and many other circles, but he right. really does know what he's doing. I mean, he, you know, um, he, yeah. he, the, the world, the, the world building that he created in that film is, is remarkable. Um, I could have done, I thought you, you, you mentioned the, the big bad, Death Star like uh, character yeah. or character is the wrong word. Um, the space station called, which is called Nomad. Yes. Um, I, I think that was brilliant. Um, I, I felt the the last act. I'm not going to go into details. Could yes. have could have been smoothed out a little bit. But Agreed. We won't we won't go into that too much. But um, we could take that one offline because yeah, agree, well, we could take that offline. It. Yeah, maybe yeah. do that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, for me there was so much. New and fresh about it that I just yeah I, again when when you see so many things that are based on books or whatever podcasts or TV shows or whatever it's like you know just to see something that's come out of someone's brain delivered on that scale as well it was like well yeah why why wouldn't you go I, I, yeah why yeah. wouldn't you go to the cinema to see it I mean yeah that's why I'm rooting for it because I want to see more things like that there are chances right maybe it's a chance it's something different but. But it strikes a chord. Yeah. I, uh, in terms of your review for this one, I think you gave it four out of five stars. And the quote was a vividly realized snapshot of the future, which I think was was perfectly said. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I'll, I'll stick by that. I'll stick by that one. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's great. And and I'm telling people, don't wait for streaming, because even if you have a 70 inch TV, it's not going to recreate it. Oftentimes I go to the theater and I'll be like. Yeah, I could have seen this one at home, or it doesn't utilize all of the theater's functionality to its top degree, like the sound and the visuals and everything. Well, this one th- does, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think the sound. It's funny whenever you've done, whenever I've done any of these books, um, 
uh, I always, well, I would, I would do this anyway, but always make a point of speaking to the sound designers because oh, they're, they're people I would never normally speak to as, as in my journalistic capacity. They're, they're never really offered up as right. potential interview candidates, probably because editors won't be that interested in running them unless it's a very specialist magazine, I guess. But so, you know, th this is a rare chance for me to speak to these kind of guys. And uh, I love the kind of stories they come out with of how they created some of these sounds. And you're right, the creator has incredible sound design in it. Uh, you know, we mentioned the tanks. I think we can talk about that. You know, the kind of uh, what they did um, to, to sort of, create this you know because they don't want to just use a normal tank you're not going to record right. a normal tank they want to kind of create something ominous and and futuristic and so that you know they obviously go and record different sounds in in for real uh and then blend these sounds together and i think they went to a um a kind of a nasa facility as i remember for mm. one of the you know recording kind of rockets taking off you know things like that and um all, all different crazy things that they do and then blend together into this sort of remarkable sound design. And yes, even if you've got the best telly in the universe, you, you it's not going to match a, you know, D Dolby surround, is it, in a, in right. a, in a movie theatre? Yeah, it's it's immersive for sure. So I would strongly recommend getting to the theatre. So hopefully it sticks around the theatres for a while more. I know that we uh, only have a few minutes left and I want to give you an opportunity to talk about where people can read your stuff and and find you as well i wanted to ask you i was reading through what the top sci-fi movies of the decade were and i just wanted to kind of put you on the spot i'm gonna i'm gonna read them off to you and you tell me if there's any glaring omissions or uh anything else or anything that you think maybe is out of order so for uh, this is on imdb by the way so Ex Machina is number one. Uh, Mad Max, the new Mad Max. Inception, Snowpiercer, Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner. Arrival, Planets of the Apes. There's two that they had in the top ten. Uh, Annihilation, which I have not seen, and Looper. So I know, again, you've watched a lot of movies, so it's going to be tough for you maybe to go through the catalog right now. But anything that stands out to you about that list, I will tell you for myself personally, Inception, although I was completely baffled by it when I first watched it, that was a rewatchable for me just so I could go back and see, oh my gosh, like this is incredible. Like once I wrapped my head around it. So I would, I would put that a little higher. I mean, it's top three already, but... That's one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, there, there's some there's some great choices in there. Uh, yeah. I, I guess it's difficult to say when that list was produced because, for, for a start, we've already mentioned it a couple of times. But where on earth is June? That has right. to be in that has to be in that list. But maybe right. that list was constructed before June came out because they had well they had two other Denny Villeneuve films in there apart from June Arrival and, and Blade Runner twenty forty nine um i'll have to see dune by the way i haven't seen it i saw the right. original back in the day my father was a big sci-fi guy so he got me into star trek and all that stuff when i was younger so i saw the original but i've not seen the new one but you're saying uh, strong recommend yeah yeah you have to okay. see the new again that, okay. that's one you you really should have caught on the cinema the or theater. if you get a chance please, please do okay. um and then and then make sure you see june part two but you know right. next next march i think it is um yeah, I'd say yeah. I think that's a pretty good list, though. I mean, there's some great choices in there. Looper was very good. That's Ryan Johnson, of course, who did uh, the Last Jedi, the one of the more recent Star Wars movies. Mm. Um, what else was on that list? Oh, Ex Machina and Annihilation are both um, 
by the same director. They're both. I mean, Ex Machina was great. That was that was a really well. I wouldn't call it an early film about AI, but in terms yeah. of this recent cycle of AI right. films, it was kind of right at the beginning, I guess you could say. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, that's a great film. Uh, Alex Garland, who uh, well wrote and directed that and Annihilation, and then he many years ago wrote The Beach. If you remember that novel, The Beach, yes. with Leonardo that's DiCaprio right. was in. That's um, right. Yeah, so nothing that springs to mind, but June is the one that would uh, I, I would say, yeah, you need to add that to the list. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that. I'll watch it on the small screen and uh, apologies, but then I'll see the next one on the big screen. I'll make up for it, so that'll help. Um, is there a favorite genre that you have, by the way? Wow, like when you're well, like, oh, I'm so excited first, to go review this. Yeah, the first book I ever did, which is in about 1998, was like a sort of A to Z of the gangster movie because I loved gangster movies. Well, I mentioned Goodfellas earlier. Yeah. Obviously, you know, you had The Godfather. And so I really dove into that and went back and watched lots of old black and white films, you know, The Public Enemy and Little Caesar. So I do love a, I do love a good gangster film. I, I, I've only, to my shame, this was kind of, I, th I think when that came out, this show probably had either just started or was about to start. I'd never seen The Sopranos until recently. So I finally have watched all of The Sopranos, which is okay. obviously not a movie. It's a, you know, although there, there was a right. spin-off movie as well. Uh, so yeah, I do love a good, a good gangster pick. We might have to do another podcast if it come back on where we just do a deep dive into the gangster uh, movie Oove. I would yeah, be if, if you're delighted, to, very happy to do that. Very okay, happy to do that. incredible. I will say I'm one of the last holdouts on The Sopranos as well. So I don't know why. I saw Breaking Bad. I've seen a bunch of these other kind of long-running, I guess, cinematic TV shows. But for some reason, I think I saw like the first season. And I know it's. I know that it's a glaring hole in my, my background. People make references. People talk about their favorite episodes. People are talking, you know, still referencing that show pretty regularly. And I'm I'm a little bit out on it, so I just need to commit the time and sit down and knock that one out. But maybe I'll do that in advance of our gangster deep dive. Yeah, I still love. I mean, Breaking Bad and and the other one, Better Call Saul, the spinoff. Yeah, uh, they're probably two of my favorite shows of the 21st century. I mean, I, I just think they're both masterpieces, basically. So, uh, yeah, I would happily okay. revisit that again. What's well, another? Time. That's another hour. We'll just do. We could do. <laughs> we, we're gonna need, actually. We're gonna need more than just an hour, yeah. probably, to do those shows. We, but, we can uh, do Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. I mean, God, that that those shows. I just adored those shows. Okay, while while I have you though, I have to ask you this question, and then, um, but let's first say so for the for the book, the the creator, the book that's going to be in stores on the fourteenth. So as a creator, the designs of futures past, uh, I know you can get it on Amazon and hopefully in bookstores uh, for the holidays, which would be great. Where else can people follow you and your work um, right, so they can keep right. up with you? Good question. Um, I am on uh, Twitter uh, at James Mottram. I'm on Instagram, uh, Mottram101. I will confess I am not the most prolific social media human being there is. So I don't. <laughs> How would you have time? Well, quite exactly. Um, but in terms of work, um, well, I think that review you read out of the creator, that was the South China Morning Post, which is a newspaper uh, in Hong Kong I write for regularly. I write for Total Film, which is a UK film magazine. Uh, the Independent, which is a, you know one of our well-known British daily newspapers that's online now um uh, i write in the united arab emirates for an english language paper called the national 
so yeah you can find my work all you know you know you know how to use google just Google just, just, just Google. Something will yeah. come up. But, yeah, uh, there you go. That's I did find that and uh, and went down a bunch of different rabbit holes. So that's great. Okay, so the question I was going to ask was around uh, what are your thoughts on like those early um, or kind of mid '90s movies like uh, Swingers and May- Vince Vaughn? Are you into any of that stuff? I was not expecting you to say that. I must say, okay. uh, yeah. I mean, I you know, I I, <laughs> I suppose I, you could say I came of age in the sense of like we were discussing at the beginning. That's when I started reviewing around that time. And okay, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I remember Swingers and Maids. Um, Dow of Steve. Dow of Steve. I don't think I've seen that one actually. Oh wow. Okay. I mean, I I I love those kind of that nineties indie era. Let's say. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Pulp Fiction was huge. Right. You mentioned Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs. Dogs. Yeah. The, you know, that is Those are all my posters. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- that's that's just the sort of stuff we grew up on, basically. And that yeah. indie era is not... I'm not saying it's not there anymore, but it's it's not as prolific as it once was. Obviously, streaming and has changed things. The DVD market collapsing has changed things, and right. which is a real shame. But, yeah, the, though there was so... You know, Rich, I, I mean... I'm not sure if this has come out in the States yet, but a, a film that was in Venice and has been doing the festival circuit, Hitman, which is this, the latest Richard Linklater film. It's a comedy. Okay. Glenn Powell. That will spirit you right back to that kind of indie era. I mean, Richard oh, Linklater nice. is one of these amazing directors that just keeps on knocking them out of the park. And you'll love Hitman. It's it's brilliant. I mean, the okay. biggest round of applause I saw for any film is probably that at, at, the, at a press screening in Venice where, of course, you've got tired and jaded film journalists and they were right. all loving it, basically. So, you know, th- there are still films out there like that, um, but it, it it doesn't feel like there was a scene like when Favreau and Vaughn came together for Swingers. And, you know, look at their careers now. I mean, Favreau's all over the Star Wars universe. Right, um, yeah. And he's done incredibly. He, he pretty much single-handedly turned it into from, you know, Okay, those last three movies weren't so great, but his TV shows, The Mandalorian, etc. He's he's done wonders with those. So, yeah, that's incredible. Okay, I, that was just a personal one I had to ask about, but it sounds like we might have to add another one to talk about. Uh, <laughs> talk Very about much this. so, definitely. But, well, this is great. Great having an, an expert like yourself, someone that has this this understanding of the that we've seen, and also the the creator can't recommend that one enough and i'm glad that you shared that sentiment and hopefully people listen to this and go see that movie uh sounds like the hitman is another one we're going to need to see and then as i indicated um i have some watching to do with dune so not only do we get a lot of great perspective but we've got some new movies that we can all uh watch and report back so uh james i really appreciate it thank you so much for your time and uh we'll have to get you on again to do this soon I'd love to. And uh, thank you, Graham, for fascinating questions. It's been really good to, you know, engage in a real meeting of the minds. Cool. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. And that'll do it for my interview with James Mottram. I want to really thank James for his time. It was a lot of fun picking his brain. And I realize we'll have to get him back on to do more movie deep dives. In the interim, hope you all have a great rest of your week, and we will see you again next time. Thank you very much, everybody.